Okay, well, good evening. Welcome, everyone. Um, thank you to Father Zach. Uh, why don't, I'll spend a little bit of time introducing myself while we just begin with a little prayer. So, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Good and gracious God, we thank you for bringing us together this night. We thank you for all the many ways you bless us, in particular this day that you have given us. As we continue to celebrate your son's victory over the grave, his resurrection from the dead, we ask that you extend that same victory to each and every one of us, to know that it's through you that we can overcome all that stands in our way, every obstacle you place before, that's placed before us. And we entrust this time to our Blessed Mother, whose month it is, as together we pray. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Our Lady of Good Health, St. John the Evangelist, St. Rita of Cascia, and the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. It's St. Rita's feast day today. That's why that was kind of thrown in there. It's actually my grandpa's birthday. He passed away five, six years ago. But I always remember it was May 22nd because that was the code on the garage door. So 0522. So I always remember grandpa's birthday. So, um, But yeah, but a great joy to be with you tonight. So uh, as Father Zach said, my name is Father Mark Malezova. And uh, great joy to be here. We are classmates. Uh, unfortunately, we never studied together at all in seminary. Uh, I got to know Father Zach first and foremost. On Chambers Island, we had... Uh, for those that may be aware, we had a retreat house on Chambers Island in the Bay of Green Bay. Um, so the summer, just prior to starting seminary, we both worked on the, on the island. So uh, it was a, I, know, I look back on that time, and it was, it was a great time because I came from shifting from uh, school in Madison, you know, kind of big hustle and bustle of the city, to an island where you have, you're stuck. <laughs> it's like, you know, not much for cell reception, which was a good thing, um, but to have that time. So that's probably when we got, first got to know one another. Uh, but as we can, you know, we're ordained together, um, coming up on two years in July. Uh, it's been great. So um, just a little bit of background on myself. Uh, originally from Luxembourg, uh, which is about a half hour east of Green Bay, just a small town. I grew up about three, four miles south of the village, so kind of out in the country. Um, I have two folks. Uh, they've been married 30-some years. I got an older brother. He's married. I got one little nephew from there. My younger brother just got engaged two Fridays ago, so we got a wedding coming up. And then I have a sister at the end. Uh, she had her first baby with her husband back in April. So that baptism is actually on a Sunday, so I'm looking forward to that. So, um, but in regards to priesthood thus far, I don't really have too much to talk about, I guess. Uh, my first assignment after ordination was at St. Francis of Assisi Parish in Manitowoc, which if anyone's ever been to, well, it's one parish. There's three churches that are used. Uh, if anyone's ever been to Manitowoc, I always like coming back here because uh, whoever designed St. John the Evangelist uh, designed, uh, it's the Waldo site, but it was Holy Innocence in Manitowoc. So it's, you drive around, it almost looks identical. So it's kind of a neat little thing. It seems like home, at least from the outside, because that's the church and the rectory in which I lived. So I spent one year in Manitowoc. I was also the chaplain at Ron Colley Catholic High School, uh, which was great for me. My background's in education, so... I didn't teach uh, full-time or anything, just kind of here and there, but just being with the, with the students was a great opportunity. Um, and my degree was secondary education, education, so grades 6 through 12, so with the high school. We also had a parish school, just like uh, St. John Evangelist does here, uh, so just kind of a wonderful thing. Had a great year there, and then a bishop came a-knocking, and uh, I guess calling through his secretary, um, asked me to come in, and he asked me if I would become the, the vocation director for the IECs, meaning that essentially kind of go around and help uh, young people typically, sometimes maybe older, but young people think about what the Lord's calling them to do with their life. Um, 
Vocation is probably a word we hear often. Um, and we probably know more or less what it means. Uh, but just to kind of set the record straight, whenever I go with Bishop for confirmations and uh, I emcee the Mass, I drive them, but I also give a talk on vocations. So Bishop usually asks them, if you may remember to your confirmation, if you had Bishop Ricken, he asks questions of the confirmandi. Uh, he gives them the answer, though. I don't give him the answer. Because I always ask him, well, what, is, what does the word vocation mean? Because I think it's a word we've heard often, but we might not always be able to kind of land on a definition. But what, at least what, I'm, what I hear from the students, um, kind of two things I'm looking for. It's that calling, because that's where the word vocation comes from, the Latin vocare, to call. Uh, but you're calling from God. And I kind of difference, the difference between, you know, what the Lord's calling you to do with your life, which is maybe more your occupation, and what the Lord's calling you to be with your life, which is more of your vocation. We talk about parenthood, motherhood, fatherhood, uh, priesthood, brotherhood, sisterhood, um, even maybe remaining single uh, to help the church in a particular way. So uh, it's good just to kind of get that definition of what we're talking about for, for vocations. But Father Zach asked, he kind of gave me a few ideas to talk about as a topic for tonight. And one of them is kind of creating, how do you build a culture of vocations? Uh, building a culture is kind of an interesting thing right now because in the diocese itself, the diocese of Green Bay, which I'm headquartered out of, uh, probably more headquartered out of my vehicle than I am the offices, but um, there's been a shift in the culture, of kind of what we're focusing on, what we're aiming towards. Um, so if you kind of followed that, we have a new mission and, and uh, vision statement. I see around here we have the, the, four, uh, the four stages, I guess, if you will. Uh, discovering Jesus, follow Jesus, worship Jesus, and then share Jesus. So kind of this shift in culture, becoming more evangelical and going out and spreading the gospel, but also starting with discipleship. Um, so but if there's one thing I've discovered thus far at the diocese with the shift in culture is that it's not easy. Because when we get into a culture that we're familiar with and we kind of know how things work and operate, um, change is very difficult because we'd much rather just have what we're used to because, well, we know this is what happens here, you go here, you go here. So when we're talking about a, a culture of it, it's a shift in culture, it, it's not easy. So that's kind of the first thing just to kind of, I guess, put out there at the get-go. But especially when it comes to develop, developing and building a culture of vocations, um, it's certainly necessary. Um, we've been blessed in years past, I think, with many priests, many sisters. I was just very much a part of the Catholic world. And as we kind of shift away from sort of Catholicism, Christianity in our world, moving more towards secularism, um, it's not such a, it's not a given anymore. We don't have as, obviously, as many priests as we used to. We don't have as many sisters uh, as we used to. Marriages are oftentimes a lot more difficult, a lot more uh, pain oftentimes with that as well. So building this culture shifting it takes a little bit of work. But one success story, I guess, when I was thinking about, well, has anyone been able to do this? Now, it's, it's sort of a recent example, but maybe not totally recent. Um, take us back to 1881, so... None of us were alive for, during that time or anything. But back in 1881, it's a small town um, called Lu, just L-U, uh, in northern Italy. So it's sort of near Turin. Um, if you ever heard of Turin, uh, I think the Winter Olympics were there a couple years ago. Uh, that's where the Shroud of Turin is housed. The idea of the cloth that was laid over Jesus' body. And through this you know, negative imaging, I don't know the photography behind it, but we have this image of Jesus that was imprinted on this shroud that was placed upon his body. So it's, this town of Lou is really small, but it's kind of near the northern part of Italy, uh, the Piemonte Mountains. But this town really wasn't known for too much. Um, prior to that, um, it was probably right around 5,000 people in the town, so relatively small, which is pretty common for Italy, just these small little villages that kind of pop up here and there. Uh, but 1881 was kind of a pivotal year because there was a market shift in the culture. 
or in the mindset of the people at the time. Um, they were seeing numbers go down in regards to vocations. Now, probably not the same extent that we've seen in our day, uh, but they recognized that, well, something had to change because we weren't seeing as many sisters, they weren't seeing as many priests. So they came together, but when they say they came together, it was actually more the mothers. It was kind of the mothers that kind of spearheaded this. They decided to come together and say, something's got to change. Um, there's got to be a shift in culture in regards to how do we help foster uh, vocations? Because it's fostering, it's not making, because you can't make a vocation, you can't force anybody, but how do you foster vocations uh, within that particular place? So they recognized that, and they decided to undertake that. And part of it is they had a deep desire for it. So they had a deep desire for their sons to think about priesthood, to be open to it, not to force, but to be open to it. And the same thing with their daughters, to be open to religious life, giving themselves, devoting their entire life uh, to Christ whatever particular order or charism that they might have been called to. Um, so they kind of started with this, uh, this desire that we want to see our young people, our sons and our daughters, choose Christ, in particular to the vocation of priesthood and religious life. So they came together, like I said, the mothers, and they kind of, you know, talked and came, um, kind of a lot of conversations. So they went to the parish priest at the time. And I'm going to have to look here so I get the right name, but it's Monsignor Alessandro Canora. And he had them do a few things because they went to the priest and said, how do we bring this about? So he recommended three things. And these are the three things they did. Mind you, this is back in 1881. Um, but every Tuesday, and I'm not sure why it was Tuesday, but they said every Tuesday they adored the Blessed Sacrament, asking the Lord for vocations. So that was kind of the first one. Asking the Lord through adoration. The second thing is that they received the Eucharist on the first Sunday of the month with this intention in mind, that their sons would be open to the priesthood, that their daughters would be open to religious life. Uh, so connected to the Blessed Sacrament again. And then number three, after Mass, they said they all prayed a particular prayer together, imploring for vocations to the priesthood. So relatively a simple plan, I would say. But this was sort of the plan of attack to bring about this shift in the culture, uh, building this culture of vocations that they would adore on Tuesdays, on the first Sunday of the month, receiving the Eucharist, as they would come to Mass with that intention. Uh, but also a little prayer after Mass, uh, asking with that. And it was amazing the results that happened. Because like I said, so the population in 1881 was 4,286 people. And in just a relatively short amount of time, I'm not exactly sure how much time after, but that shift in culture started to happen. There was an atmosphere of joy. Because as they discovering Jesus anew through the Blessed Sacrament, through the Eucharist, there was a lot of joy. A lot of just Christian piety within the people. And this was really what helped foster these young people to be open to what, the, what their vocation was, whether it was priesthood or religious life, or maybe it was marriage or the single life, uh, for whatever, whatever call that might be. But this is the result. In just a short amount of time, in the small town of 4,286 people, 323 vocations, 323, to the priesthood and religious life, so both of them. There was 152 priests, both diocesan, so for the particular, I, don't know, I guess I'm not sure what diocese Lou is in, uh, but also religious, so 152 priests, 171, 171 nuns that were belonging to 41 different orders. So just that short amount of time, because they had the desire, because they wanted to see this happen, they prayed. Didn't force, but they prayed, and that was the result. It, it, they, I should have brought a picture, because when I was looking this up online, they had a picture, it was sort of a reunion for those that came back. They have a 323 Probably the most famous of these families that were praying that their sons or daughters would be open to that call was the Rinaldi family. And they had seven children, and God called all of them uh, to a religious life. So they had two daughters that became Salesian sisters, 
And they had five sons that became Salesian priests. Probably the reason Salesians, if you're familiar with that, that was uh, St. John Bosco's order, very much helping the youth, uh, being focused on them, helping them to learn the faith, to receive the sacraments, uh, to grow up with a, an upbringing, a good Christian upbringing. Uh, St. John Bosco actually visited this small town about three times. He was headquartered out of Turin. So like I said, this town wasn't very far away. So he would go there about four times. So I guess probably the most popular religious order out of this town were the Salesians. But um, yeah, the whole family, seven, seven from there. The most famous was Blessed Philip. So he's a blessed, not quite a saint, but maybe one day. Blessed Philip Rinaldi. So he was the third successor to St. John Bosco. St. John Bosco the founder of the Salesians in that. So two people after him was this uh, blessed Philip Rinaldi. And this is what he had to say about the town of Lou. He said, A faith that made our fathers and mothers say, The Lord gave us our children, and so if he calls them, we can't say no. So I'm just going to repeat that one more time. So what he said as he went back to Lou, this is what he was quoted as saying. He said, A faith that made our fathers and mothers say, The Lord gave us our children, and so if he calls them, we can't say no. And so they were open to that. And the beautiful results that happened. So as I kind of look at that example, maybe like a sense, a success story, if you will, like I said, a couple years ago, um, back in 1881. But what, were, what was present in, the, in that town that kind of brought this about? And there's probably many things you can point to, but I just kind of focused on two. And the first one was the desire. So these people in particular had the desire that they wanted their young people to be open to vocations. Um, like I said, it was particularly the mothers. Usually, I don't know, mothers are the drivers. I feel like in my family, the mother definitely was. Not that my dad wasn't, but the mother's just more so. Yeah, so. Um, but they had that desire that they wanted to see because I think they knew that discovering their vocation was going to lead them to happiness, first and foremost. Um, but secondly, and I guess maybe more importantly, definitely more importantly, was holiness to be open to that call, what Jesus was calling them uh, to do. But they had the desire to bring that about. And I, I wonder if that's the same case in our diocese today. I hope it is, but I think it's going to have to increase a little bit. As we know, we're, you guys are blessed. Uh, we've had priests here in Anago, and, and not all parishes have been that blessed in a sense. So part of them, some of these parishes, you kind of feel the hurt, the longing, in particular for priests. With my role as vocation director, I'm not, I'm not assigned to any particular parish. So every weekend, I go and do help out. And, um, and some of these have been waiting for priests for a long time. And you can kind of feel that, that burning, that longing that they have uh, just to have a priest, to have someone lead them, guide them, um, to shepherd them as their pastor, as their priest. So some places now, as the numbers are kind of going down, um, they're starting to feel the, the pinch a little bit, if you will. Um, this last go around, just with the numbers, some larger parishes, relatively larger parishes, um, are moving to pastoral leaders, a deacon in particular. So they're starting to feel that hurt. So my hope is that, that we can use that as a good motivation to have that desire. Okay, we need to increase the numbers because Bishop says this often, and I say it as well. I do quote him that it is him. Um, is that we don't have a shortage of vocations, uh, but we have a shortage of yeses. For whatever reason, uh, young men, young women, they're either, one, not hearing it uh, for some reason that might be blocking, and then two, if they are hearing it, they're not responding with a yes. They're not exactly sure why. But part of that is having the desire on our part that we want to see this shift. We want to see this change. Um, Anago, in a sense, has been blessed. Uh, another classmate of ours, Father Adam Bradley, was from um, this parish. Uh, so this has been fruitful, and I think that's always a sign of a fruitful uh, a parish that's alive, that's bearing fruit, is if they have vocations. 
Um, it's not a given or anything, but I think it's oftentimes a good sign, a good indicator that there is something going on here, that people are drawing closer to Jesus. They are deepening the relationship, uh, becoming disciples, and then going out as well. So the first thing in order to build a culture, I would say, is we have to have the desire. We want to see the change. We want to see this thing come about. And then the second thing, which I think I just kind of lay out these two, because I think this is something we all can do, whether priests, religious lay, whatever it might be. We can all have that desire. And the second thing, pretty simple, is we pray. Is that we pray for them. Going back to them, like I said, it's a pretty simple game plan. They ask their priests, yeah, okay, adoration, um, receiving the Eucharist with this intention on their mind, and then saying a prayer after Mass. Pretty simple things. But, obviously, we looked, what were the results? It was a boom in vocations. Uh, I think you guys are very blessed. I know it's relatively recent, but the new Adoration Chapel. I haven't actually seen it yet. Uh, maybe we'll stop in one of these days. Um, but what a blessing to have that opportunity. And it really just makes sense on so many levels that if you put yourself in front of our Lord, ask our Lord in the Blessed Sacrament for these things to come about, He hears those prayers. And what a beautiful thing to be able to have that um, within the city, uh, to be able to go to. But it's always connected to the Eucharist. And same thing because... As we pray for vocations in front of the Eucharist, we see the connection because if we don't have vocations, particularly the priesthood, we don't have the Eucharist. So it's kind of this, it's so intimately connected that we pray that if we want the Eucharist, that's what we, that's what we go to. We go to our Lord asking for vocations so they may come so we may always have the Eucharist. Because that's the beauty of our faith, these tangible signs, the sacraments that we have that connects us to our Lord, that feeds us, nourishes us, strengthens us, um, but yeah, but if we don't have them, unfortunately, um, we can become, we can lack. We can become malnourished and not receive all that the Lord wants to give to each and every one of us. Uh, but the connection to the Eucharist. So it might be just something simple enough in our own daily life. What's a little way that we can make a shift that we can make a change? First of all, that desire, but also praying for vocations. Um, I still have some more things to talk about, but this just seems like a good transition. Um, Father Zach brought some of these cards out. You may have seen these before, uh, but every year the vocation office puts out these little prayer cards. Um, and it says the morning offering for vocations. So it's a beautiful way to kind of begin the day, um, beginning the day with this particular prayer. And I might just ask Father Zach to hand those out. Uh, if you've gotten one, great. If you didn't, might just one take with you. Because it's just a small way to bring those prayer for vocations uh, within to our daily routine. On the back side, you'll notice... There's some names. So they're doubled up. I wish we had uh, 28 seminarians, but they're doubled up. Um, but each way to, to pray for a particular seminarian is they persevere uh, in their studies. We do include Bishop Ricken because he needs prayers. Uh, me, of course, uh, need prayers as well. And Father Quinn, uh, the Associate Vocation Director. So this just might be one way to kind of bring that prayer into you know, our daily routine because um, those are heard. And it's just a small way that we can make a step to change that culture, to make that shift in that culture. But oftentimes, it's kind of interesting talking to uh, young men that are discerning, uh, talking with their parents. Oftentimes, many times, they are very much open to it. They're, they're really excited. They might not fully understand it, um, but they're excited the possibility that either their son is thinking about priesthood, religious life, or their daughter's thinking about uh, religious life. And, but sometimes, you do run into a little bit where there's a little hesitancy um, on the part of the parents. And sometimes this can be a little bit of a, an obstacle, I guess, to vocations, uh, to fostering within the family. Um, I kind of just came up with the top three to talk about because I think, that, I mean, there's probably many more, but from those that I've kind of been interacting with, 
I, I feel like these have probably been the top three. They might be, these might just be obstacles to bringing about that culture of vocations. I think the first one, and if we're talking about um, maybe priests in particular, a lot of times they feel, well, my son's going to be lonely or he's going to be unhappy kind of being by himself. And um, it, it's, it's a common thought, um, but I don't think it's a reality. I, I really don't. I guess maybe I'll just speak for myself. I've got two priests here, and they can, they can speak on their behalf. But, boy, I, I, don't, know if there's a, I don't know if I've ever felt uh, lonely. There's definitely times where I feel alone, which I think there is a difference between being alone. Sometimes I just crave being alone, especially when it comes to prayer. Sometimes you just, if you're around people all day in whatever walk of life, sometimes you just want that alone time. I think that's different uh, than being lonely. I think sometimes parents are the people that look at somebody thinking about a religious vocation, like, boy, they're going to be lonely. They're going to be unhappy. Um, but I don't know. I, I haven't found that to be the case. I really haven't. Because the beauty of this particular vocation is that you get brought into so many people's lives. I guess tonight, a new batch of people. Um, it connects you in the relationship because everything's kind of built upon relationship. Um, and in some sense, yeah, okay, there might be a temptation for you know, the religious vocation. But I think loneliness can happen in any walk of life. It's not particular to priesthood. I'm not going to ask anybody here, you know, married, but I'm sure there's probably times where you feel maybe lonely or feel alone or whatever it is. So that's not particularly unique to a religious vocation. It's found in everything. But part of it is, what do you do with that? Um, for priests, if they ever do experience that loneliness, uh, there's only one person they can go to, and that's our Lord. Because um, just as spouses need that intimacy with one another, priests need the intimacy um, in a different way, but that only comes from our Lord knowing that he is enough. He is enough to satisfy that longing for love. Because we all want to be loved. We all want to share that love with other people. Um, priests do it, of course, in a celibate way uh, to other people. But when it comes to the Lord, there's got to be that connection as well. So um, that's always just a very easy route. If whenever it goes down that, uh, we just turn to our Lord. And that's where we get fulfilled. We get nourished, uh, renewed to begin again. So that was kind of the first one I think a lot of times is, People are sometimes afraid for their, for their children, think, well, they might not be, they might not be happy. Uh, the second one, which I know is definitely a part of it, um, is that, well, if my son or daughter becomes religious or priest, whatever it might be, then I'm not going to have grandchildren, you know. And that's, that's a tough one for sure, because part of that is, is you have children. I can't speak from experience. I don't have any children, but I'm sure you want to see the grandchildren one day. I, I mentioned with my family, um, I got two nephews, so... And like I said, my sister's son uh, was born last April. So it's really interesting for me to see my parents as grandparents because in some way, I think in some small way, I'm seeing what they were like when we were babies because obviously I don't remember. But to be able to see that love, and for sure, I mean, that's definitely a real thing. It's a beautiful thing to want to have uh, those grandchildren. And if you have other, if the family has other children, then you have other options. If it's an only son, which you do have a few of those in our diocese, it can be very hard because, in a sense, that line is stopped. It's been cut off. Um, but the beautiful thing is that um, even if I don't have children or grandchildren biologically, like I said, I think our priests here could probably speak to it as well. Um, I definitely feel like I have that connection, though, between certain people. Uh, the beautiful part of my job is I pretty much work primarily with, which is a blessing but can also be a curse, uh, working with young people those that are younger than me, those that in some sense I see as sort of a, like a younger brother, to be able to walk with them, uh, to be with them, not without having to perish. I mean, like I said, you get a little more of the, the variety, the diversity. But in my line of work now, 
It tends to be the younger ones and be able to walk with them. Like I said, it's a blessing to be able to do it. Sometimes it's a curse because sometimes they're not always uh, responsive or whatever not be. You were good, so don't worry about that. But, um, but, um, but to be able to walk with them, in some sense, see, maybe just because I'm not that old, not, not so much a chill child, but as a brother or as a sister kind of walking with them. So there's definitely that family. And you get invited into lives that you just, you just wouldn't have otherwise. Um, so I do feel for those parents that definitely want grandchildren because it's a good and beautiful thing. I mean, it's, it's, not a, it's not an unholy thing, but to think that in some way their son or daughter can be a, a father, a mother uh, to other spiritual children is definitely a reality. It's definitely a possibility. And I've been living that out. I feel, at least I've been hoping to, uh, in the last couple of months as I've done this position. So, and kind of the last one, I think the obstacle maybe to bring about that culture, particularly within the family, as I feel like sometimes people think, well, I'm going to lose my son, right? If they become priests or if my daughter becomes religious, I, I'm going to lose them, right? And part of the love that you have for them, you want to keep them close, right? You want to kind of, I don't know. I feel like my mother has done this, kind of the mother hen, you're kind of bringing them close. But part of it, sometimes, you, they got to go out of the nest. They got to get kicked out and you got to go. And in some sense, I, it's definitely different now with my family, uh, probably mostly during holidays. So Easter Sunday, I was up uh, in the Northwoods this is sort of the Northwoods, but other Northwoods. I was up in Amberg and Wasaki. By the time those masses got done, I met up with my family. It was kind of early afternoon. So it's definitely different in that sense, but they understand, okay, he's got to be somewhere. He's got something to do. Um, so it's not so much a losing, but there's just a change in that relationship. There's a change um, in how that's kind of brought about. But in some sense, it's really giving your child away or allow your child to you know, receive a religious vocation it's really losing them in the best way possible because could they really be doing anything better? Uh, if they're truly laying down their life working for the Lord, can there really be any better thing to lose your child to do? Um, to be a servant uh, to Christ, to go out and preach the gospel, uh, to be with people in their time of need. I mean, it's really the best way to lose your child, I guess, if you will, knowing that they're doing the Lord's work. And, and part of that as well is that, you know, on that baptism day, I mean, part of that was kind of part of it is you brought them into the body of Christ, um, you gave them over to the Lord. Kind of similar to the presentation what Mary and Joseph did with Jesus, you know, presenting them to the Lord. Baptism is a very real, concrete example of that as well. It's when those child, children are brought, uh, they're brought to the Lord. And to go back to that beautiful prayer, I feel, uh, that blessed Philip Rinaldi said, said that faith that made our fathers and mothers say, in particular at baptism, I would say, the Lord gave us our children, and so if he calls them, we can't say no. Um, that's what happened at that baptism. Um, so how foster whatever the Lord might be leading them to do. So as we're kind of moving forward as well, uh, I guess just kind of the last thing uh, I just want to mention, obviously just the importance of it. My own upbringing, I guess this will just be a little part of my story. Uh, but growing up in Luxembourg, uh, I did go to Catholic grade school. So in Luxembourg itself, there's a school that's still there. It goes up to sixth grade. And the priest that was there. It's still kind of around. It was sort of an interesting shift that happened. My predecessor, Father Schuster, was the vocation director, went to my hometown, and then I took over his position. So we're kind of connected in that sense. But the priest that he took over for, Father Cease, was in Luxembourg for 38 years. Um, so it was just, he was kind of an institution. That's not even the record. I'm sure there's probably further. The priest actually that baptized me, uh, was named Father John Johannik. He was in Pilsen, for 49 years. <laughs> That's just kind of baffling, I think. But, um, but Father Cease has always just been, for me, an example of what, of what priesthood has been because we had Mass every day uh, with him. 
In fifth and sixth grade, those were the two oldest grades. We had religion class with him every single day. All the other grades had it once a week with him. And he was just sort of always around. So he never really talked to me in particular about priesthood. But just looking back, um, he was just always there. He was just always present. He was always teaching. And it was always funny because if we had a question with anything, uh, the teachers, if they didn't know, they just said, well, go ask Father Cease. You know, he, he, knows all, he knows all of that. Um, but he showed us what it was to, to live out the faith, to, to celebrate, to worship. Um, I, th- I thank him in many ways. Um, as I thought back on my own, you know, when did I first believe that it really was Jesus in the Eucharist? It really was Jesus in the Blessed Sacrament? I can remember, I don't know what grade we were, but during Lent, we'd have the Stations of the Cross, and we'd always finish with benediction. And I always felt that once that, once that monstrance turned towards me, I just felt like the Lord was looking at me. And I just, like, I don't know, I just got a sense of, like, he's looking right at me. And I, and I, I thank him for that, because I think somewhere along the way, I kind of lost the, the idea what the true presence was and restored it, thankfully. Um, but I think, boy, wouldn't it I first believe in? I can go back. But anyway, with him, I just kind of very much see him as a model of what a priesthood is, because just kind of the day in, day out, uh, the daily grind, but very faithful to his service. And he just retired, as I said, because Father Schuster took over there. But at his going away mass, he just shared a little bit about insights of his priesthood. Uh, he just kind of kept records of all the masses he did, all the baptisms, all the weddings, all this stuff. And, um, and his last line, which didn't really quite fit, it did in a sense, but it was just kind of like, he was talking all about this. His last line is like, and pray for vocations, because that's what builds the church. And then he just walked away. That was like the end of his homily. Like, it, it kind of fit in a sense, but it was, it was just kind of like attack on. But it was just like, and pray for vocations, because that's what builds the church. Um, and I guess that's just maybe the last parting thought I just leave with everybody here tonight is just, that's truly what it is. We, we pray for vocations because it's through our priests that the church is built up because it's nourished with the sacraments. Uh, it's through religious sisters that were prayed for, that those that are in need are cared for, uh, that those that need to be educated are educated, so on and so forth. Uh, but also the beautiful marriage as well, building those up, those family churches, those domestic churches, starting at home, a building from there. Uh, we need to pray for vocations. Because that's what's going to build the church. So those are kind of just my reflections on the topic. Um, I think we probably have some time if anybody's got any questions or anything. But um, it's been great to be with you, though. So, yeah. Yeah. You've been a vocation after almost a year. Uh, what have been some of the newest insights you've seen? How we can be, re- be proactive as a parish rather than being reactive? Yeah. I guess it's all about praying, but that's, that's one thing. But also, yeah. my thought would be like, what are some signs that you see in a young man that he might be called a priest? I think the temptation is because a little bit older area here. Mm-hmm. I see a young man at church. The first thing I want to ask him, the first thing I want to ask him is, Hey, you were thought of being a priest instead of being cordial and saying what you need. Mm-hmm. So, I just yeah. That. No, so that's a good question because, um, yeah, insights that I, I felt in this role is that really when it comes down to, we do a couple of events throughout the year to kind of help build up, you know, the thought of priesthood and everything, but really where the rubber meets the road is the one on one. I mean, that's really the bulk of the ministry um, is meeting with the young man, talking with him, talking about what's going on in prayer, how's the Lord leading you. Um, so that's kind of the biggest thing is that it's accompaniment and accompaniment takes time to do it, to build that relationship. It takes um, energy. 
Uh, it takes commitment. So um, it's not necessarily an easy thing always, but it's something if we're truly committed to, we have to be say it's worth it's worth the effort in a sense. And when I kind of go around to parishes, I just you know if you see a young man, um, you know just kind of focus on that with priesthood. You know if you see them, and I just I was you know. Maybe not just go out to everybody and say, oh, you ever thought about being a priest? You ever thought about being a priest? But if you recognize a young man, you know, what do you recognize with him? I, sometimes people are like, oh, you're the recruiter. I'm like, I'm not a recruiter. That's like, that's like a, I'm a, millennial, I'm a millennial, so that's a trigger word for me. I don't like the word uh, a recruiter. Because I mean, that's what the army does. You, a recruiter tries to convince or persuade, right? Um, and so there's probably some regards to that when it comes to priesthood. But I see myself more as a, a scout, like a sports scout. So I know Father Zach play baseball. I play baseball. Um, I didn't play college, he did. Um, but it's kind of like, take a picture. You know, you recognize this person's got some skills and talents. He's got a pretty good fastball. He's got a decent curve, a good changeup. Now, do you know if that guy's going to make it to the majors one day? You don't. But he's got some skills or talents that could lend itself to it. In some way, I kind of see that in regards to looking at, in particular, young men for priesthood. You know, do they kind of have the right stuff in a sense? Um, do they have a prayer life? Um, do you see them around? Uh, do they help out? Um, are they willing to lend a hand? Can you converse with them? Um, my predecessor talked about, you know, Green Bay Seminarians are happy, healthy, holy, and normal. <laughs> and that idea of just being, is it just a good, normal guy? So I think it's just, it's more, you know, focusing on a couple of those individuals. If you see those skills, those talents, whatever it is, do you know if they're being called to be a priest? No, but you can plant the seed, you know? And my hope is that if I would ask every pastor of a parish that they could maybe identify at least three, just three guys in particular when we're talking about priesthood, that might, that might, might be called. You never know. Um, when I talk to a guy, I'll say, you know, this is what I see. This is why I think you might be. Now, do I know? No. But let's, let's plant the seed. Let's see what happens. Um, guys are never worse for it. So I don't know if that answers your question. But, you know. I like the analogy. I don't know why, but. I do too. <laughs> well, I, guess I just got so sick of everybody like, oh, it's a recruiter. I'm like, a recruiter. So, but. Father Matt. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> nope. So. I guess we covered it all. Yeah. So. All right. Well, okay. Well, why don't we, why don't we close with a little prayer? So, in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Dear Lord, we thank you for this time that we've had with one another. We thank you for the opportunity to talk about building a culture of vocations, to create an atmosphere where young people can hear your voice within the silence of their hearts, and that through the grace that you provide, to respond with a yes. Not always knowing where that yes may lead, but knowing that you're there with them, walking every step of the way. We ask your blessing upon all those gathered here tonight upon this parish, uh, that there may be a culture built here. So many young men may consider that call to the priesthood, many young women may respond with the gift of their life, to religious life, to sisterhood. We entrust this all once again to our Blessed Mother, as once again we pray. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women. And blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. May Almighty God bless you, the Father.
and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Go in peace. Thank you. Very good.